0: Welcome into 2-4-1 Drafts. Austin Gale here, the host of 2-4-1 Drafts, a Rookies and Draft Prospects podcast. Today, we are looking at the mailbag, baby. we got some mailbag questions to answer on this Monday edition of 2-4-1 Drafts. And at the back end of the podcast, interview with Minnesota head coach, P.J. Fleck. Dude's energy is unreal. We had Tom Allen a couple episodes ago. Now we have P.J. Fleck. Absolutely fantastic stuff with P.J. Mailbag, then P.J. Fleck. Let's get it. theory conversation is interesting so i, I dropped a tweet recently after conversation, he, was, he got like the, he got there should be a conversation there wasn't a
1: conversation but you just there
0: should it. be a conversation so he got that three-year contract 80 million dollars love to see it good for guy Fietti yeah i called him very overrated or as overrated as adam sandler which is another take that people hate even though he hasn't made a good movie in probably like 15 years That's regardless everyone's That's like have you not seen billy madison yeah i did 30 years ago like that movie is literally 30 years old Billy Madison, Waterboy, all that stuff. Fantastic. The Cobbler? Not my cup of tea. Okay, yeah. I don't think The Cobbler was that good. Or any of the other movies that he's made, like, pre-2005
1: or post-2005. post-2005. I, I'll just disagree with that. I thought he had some gems in there. Not Uncut Gems. That one wasn't good. Uncut Gems but... was
0: horrendous. Everyone's <laughs> like, he did this serious role and did a really good job with it. It's like, are you kidding me? That's, like, one of the lowest-rated movies on Rotten Tomatoes for a reason.
1: Uh, I now pronounce you Chuck and Larry. Was a banger.
0: 07. Oh, seven. Okay. Oh, seven. Thank you. I appreciate that. All right. Anyway, we were on Guy Fieri. So I said that thinking that, you know, we had this conversation on the way to the office that I was the only one who thought Guy Fieri is just like a glorified circus clown. Like he dresses up in frosted tips and says a bunch of catchphrases on TV and people are like laughing at him like he's. A dressed-up circus clown, but you're like, no, that's that's how people see him. I was like, okay, if everyone is in agreement, that Guy Fieri isn't like a legitimate like culinary artist, and it's just like a guy that goes on there and says like yeah. out of bounds and all this stuff, then I'm fine with it. He's not overrated. He's properly rated.
1: He's an entertainer. You thought he was like, you're thinking he's what Gordon Ramsay of no, I'm you know, not saying he's Gordon critic Ramsay. But I,
0: I thought people respected him. You know what I mean? I, I, I don't, still respect him. You like still respect him? Yeah,
1: I mean, like that's maybe it's an act. I mean, it is an act. It's an, an act. He obviously puts it on but it's a funny act and it's like okay okay it's a it's an act i can get behind that i
0: 100% agree with so i'm going to say i 100% agree with that guy fiedi is a funny act if you think of any if you think yeah. he's anything different like if you think it's like oh he's just a super nice guy helping it's like dude stop it's like the most scripted Insane show I've ever seen. It's like I mean, very,
1: very talks about Flavor Town.
0: What yeah, you it's that's... tough. It's tough, you man. But people serious? are like, "Are you kidding me?" Guy Fieri is a godsend. Blah blah blah. Anthony Trash, PFF's Anthony Trash has like is considering getting a Guy Fieri tattoo. So like, there's there's is people. Is he gonna who grow
1: have... out the goatee and the frosted tips? tips? He needs it. He needs it. Anyway, okay. hurt. That's where I'm at with Guy Fieri. He's a glorified circus clown, a yeah. funny act. You deserve the ratio for that one. The Sandler one, I can I can I can understand. He he does fart out some bad content yes we'll just say that but at his peak sandler's pretty good still yeah
0: at his peak i do think adam sandler was really funny in the 90s (laughs) when the role wasn't like kind of do over with the do-over was good too
1: the do-over was not good i disagree
0: grown-ups one and two was an absolute farce do-over was fine all right, anyway, let's get off this conversation. Let's jump now to the mailbag here. And I have to say, doing these interviews, I've done now over, I think, close to 70 total interviews or a little over 70 total interviews with people who listen to Two Four Drafts to get feedback on the co- on the podcast. And people love the mailbags. People love a lot of these things. It's been super fun to uh, to have these conversations. So I really appreciate everyone that's done it. One po- one guy, I get on there, he's like, hey, man, before we do this, you want to crack a smelling salt? Dude, I smelling yeah, salt. I only grabbed one from the office. We did one together. It was awesome. It was awesome. All right, mailbag question number one. Can you guys break down... How do you think the Vikings did in this year's draft?
1: Yes, we did a whole podcast on this. We did. Episode 194. But to kind of just recap the trade that they made, one of the best, one of my favorite trades of the draft, going back and still getting Christian Darasaw. Obviously, we loved the value of Darasaw there. And I think it was necessary without, you know, with the draft capital they traded away for Yannick Ngakwe to get more back. And so that allowed them to then get a guard as well, Wyatt Davis, who, if healthy, is a much better player than where they got him at. So. Loved that. And then I think it's Amir Smith-Marset in the fifth. I think he'd be an upgrade over Ola C. Johnson at least. Now I didn't see him as a complete sort of starting wide receiver, but as your one-trick speed guy or like that third wide out that can get vertical from the slot, i like him in that role. Definitely an upgrade over Ola Yeah,
0: I mean, I think the the whole draft is kind of made with that Derrissaw trade. The trade back and still get a very good offensive to tackle in Christian Derrissaw and then pick up extra picks. Chef's to- guess. Yeah, to add mm. Kellen Mond, to add you know some of these other guys that they picked. White Davis was the other guy that they got in that yeah. trade. You know, with those picks they picked up. So guard. getting Kellen Mond and White Davis in that trade back is awesome. White Davis was our number one interior offensive lineman on the board, our 61st overall player. They get him at 86.
1: Well, and, on the board at the time. At the time. Okay. Yeah. You, the way you said it, it sounded like oh. he was number one overall. Was he not the number one interior offensive lineman? No. Number one guard. Okay, possibly the number one guard. Okay, maybe the number one player who played guard last year.
0: Oh, okay, gotcha. Okay, not Elijah Vera. Okay, not a so Elijah, Elijah Vera Tucker. That's right. Okay, I'm I'm reading this wrong, and I apologize. No, honestly, dude, honestly, I apologize. All right, jumping off of the, the Minnesota Vikings, and we are on to. Oh, I didn't say who that was from. That was from Bats for Bats, who does a lot of mailbag questions. Bats for say, Bats. I don't
1: know. How, I think you've, if you just edit your review, does it just give you a new? I question? have no idea how this works. Yeah, this is,
0: myth, this is mythology to me.
1: We haven't looked into it, and I probably won't.
0: Yeah, same. All right, this is from Arissa. As a Washington fan, this is probably the most talent I've seen on their roster since I became a fan in 2006, right when Adam Sandler freaking fell off a cliff. Okay. (laughs) They're a competitive team because of their elite defense. But I'm actually glad they did sell out on future draft picks this year or next year's for a quarterback. They didn't. They still need more overall talent, in my opinion, this draft. And in my opinion, this draft solidified depth at key positions, offensive line and receiver, and put them in a position to obtain one of the top QBs in next year's draft. I don't see them picking in the top 15 in 2022 draft, but I hope they can do something similar to what the Bears executed this draft to land a quarterback. So my question is, which quarterback do they pursue? My choices would be Spencer Rattler, Carson Strong, Nevada quarterback, and then Sam Howell of UNC. So for what it took,
1: the Bears, like I would have done that. Where the Bears gave up a future first. Now, the Giants, Dave Gettleman, you probably would have said, "Go kick fucking rocks." If the Washington picks up the phone and says, "We want to trade picks to get Justin Fields," whatever, you, you would not have done it with a division rival. I'm guessing, so that's probably why they don't get that deal done. But if in the hypo, you know, in the vacuum, I would have given up that draft capital for a quarterback in just draft. I being said, I, I don't think you necessarily have to go via the draft. I think the Deshaun Watson and Russell Wilson situations are not finalized. Uh, they are not completely done in both, you know, Houston and Seattle. They're, those guys aren't completely happy with where they are at, I'm guessing, still. So those are future options. Uh, Jameis Winston, Cam Newton both become free agents next year. Those are future options. I, I don't think that... I do think that it's becoming easier than ever to find quarterbacks. So I don't think they're completely screwed that they didn't get one. Like I said, if worse comes to worse next April, then yes, you can by all means make that play then.
0: I also think their social media team is going to benefit a ton from having Ryan Fitzpatrick as the QB one. They're already like highlighting like a scramble and like the NFL is retweeting it and stuff like that.
1: So I do think Ryan Fitzpatrick is going to produce some really good content. Similar, He's kind of like their Gardner Minshew right now. What a... That's just, I love that you, your mind goes there. No one else. No one else. Yeah, yeah, that's true.
0: That's true. But I, so, but you didn't even answer for 2022. Is no. there a quarterback you think in mind that they
1: could go after in 2020? It's, I mean, it's so fucking early. It's so early, and they're
0: not going to be picking inside even the top
1: 15. Top tw- I, I mean, they might yeah, not be exactly. picking inside the top 20. Yeah. I, I do think, though, it could, it could be a strong quarterback class. Really? There, there are names that have, there are a lot of talented, physically talented dudes now. Outside of maybe Spencer Rattler, I wouldn't feel great about any of them at this point. Even Spencer Rattler has his Picadillos, but... What the hell? What the hell's a Picadillo? I think I've said that before on the show. What the hell is a Picadillo? That's a thing. What's your opinion of Matt Corral? Is that not a thing? (laughs) Uh, While
0: we're on the topic of 2022. 2022 Matt Corral is
1: just so up and down. Yeah. I, I didn't I didn't love him yet. I, I think he's like, one of those guys that are in the mix, though. He's yeah. like, talented, but I, I I do think that offense did a lot of things for him to make his numbers look better than he actually played.
0: When's Lane Kiffin getting another shot in the NFL, man? That dude's a stud. I want to get him on the podcast, David sofaro I want to get him on the pod. Let's go get Lane Kiffin. I want to talk to Lane Kiffin. This dude's a legend, Raiders I legend. Love. I had season tickets when Lane Kiffin was... A Raiders head coach, and like he'd pull every single game before the game, he'd put all the players on the team in a big huddle, and they'd huddle and then break, and then they go to play the game. Like also, how insane is that? He's like so old school, very coachy, like I mean, very collegey for lack of a better word, better than Picadillos to be fair. All right, let's go to Jay. Also a bar scene legend. Also a bar scene legend. I yeah. bet
1: Dude, that guy seems like he's fresh water. But well, you know up. the Joey Freshwater story, yeah.
0: No, what's the Joey Freshwater story? How
1: do you not story? know these, like, ran off the wall? He How do I not go to, know these random used off the, the wall go stories? To, when, I think it was when he was at Alabama, or was it? I don't know, where was it at? But he, he would go to bars and give the name Joey Freshwater instead of his real name. No way. It's so, college co yeah. That's kind of incredible. Yeah. You should go by that. Uh, All right. Yeah, I do. Off
0: to Jay Swiftness, the Bears. Everyone is high on the Bears drafting Fields. I'm concerned it's not the best place for Fields. There's a good chance Nagy and Pace lose their job, and we know that supporting cast along with consistency of coaching is key for quarterback success. How would you run the Bears organization as an owner to make sure Fields reaches his maximum potential? This is a good question. I think it this is. is a really good question.
1: And, and there is high potential that new GM, new head coach after the season. They, they may not, especially if you know Aaron Rodgers comes back to Green Bay, they're not winning the North. They may not. They're likely. They're not going to get second in the north with the Vikings there, and especially if Andy Dalton's your starting quarterback. Like there's, and then if that happens, they might clean house. And I am of the opinion that I'd keep Matt Nagy. I think he's a good offensive mind. I mean, what he did with goddamn Mitch Trubisky to make the playoffs as much as they have is kind of insane. What do you think about it? Like that actually yeah. make him look like a quality ish starting quarterback at times that had Bears fans convinced at one point that he was their guy had what's his face. Who's the old curmudgeony bears dude, uh, that ended up blocking me on Twitter when I,
0: Oh yeah. Uh, bear scout or Amos something. T- no, no. Oh, great. Gabri- Gabriel. Great Gabriel.
1: He had great Gabriel pumping out his chest that it was a better pick than Deshaun Watson and Patrick Mahomes at one point. Holy crap. So, so I still think Matt coach now Ryan Pace, different discussion there. Uh, I think it was malpractice what he did at the quarterback position the last two years with Nick Foles and Andy Dalton. That's just not – it just eschews any sort of idea of where you want to be in the NFL at the quarterback position. You don't want to be in that good – not even good, that that serviceable but not – Close to Super Bowl caliber quarterback. Yeah. Like you don't want that. The so worst quarterback in the NFL is a good quarterback. It's uh, it's it's these quarterbacks yeah. actually. <laughs> it's it's the ones they've signed. And it's actually a Bears quarterback. Yeah. And the and the thing is, they can't even cut Nick Foles, and they can't cut Andy Dalton because of the way they push this money out now. Yeah. Like they have a lot of guys in that roster that have that they cannot cut or cannot free up cap space from because they've already sort of pushed all the chips in. Pushed all the chips. Yeah, they already put those down the line put that money down the line so that that's where they're screwed now they'll get some cap space next year uh, barring they don't make any more crazy decisions they'll get some back and so at that point you can sign a tackle some offensive line help but yeah he doesn't have great tackles right now obviously you're starting rookie tevin jenkins um you have good receiving core though I, i do think that at least is good got to hold on to Allen robinson though in my opinion this is tough I, I think it's a really good question can you view or
0: talk about matt nagy and ryan pace separately though because so many people are saying you know nagy and pace are both cons. it's like Half. nagy's actually done a really good job yeah. how has pace done with the decisions he's made with this roster not yeah, as good right the way, no. yeah. like I, I almost view here's a take i view matt nagy very similar to Vic fangio Guys that could be on the hot seat because they haven't won a ton of games and their head coaches of bad football teams or haven't been meeting expectations or exceeding expectations, but they've been absolutely destroyed by the quarterback play. Like the quarterbacks yeah. that their team drafted have not been good. And they've been forced into a situation now where he's paying Nick Foles, Andy Dalton, and just traded up for Justin Fields. And the Denver Broncos are flipping a coin to figure out who's going to st- take reps as the starter between Teddy Bridgewater and Drew Locke. Like both those coaches are good. Yeah. The problem has been, and I think this needs to be discussed more with like hot you know, hot seats and those types of things with coaches, the quarterback play matters almost more than sometimes what your coach can do. Like Vic Fangio has made that defense fantastic. What he's done with that secondary is awesome. And now he's getting Von Miller back and these different things. Mm -hmm. I think Vic Fangio should not be on the hot seat. It's Drew Locke that should have been on the hot seat since, you know, over the past two years. And again, I do think Matt Nagy, it would be a shame to see him go because of Mitch not because of wholeheartedly Mitch Trubisky, but still a very big
1: part of that being just bad quarterback. Well, I mean you turned he turned the first three first rounders he had. Three straight top ten picks. I, I believe Pace took over in twenty fifteen. Maybe he was twenty fourteen when Kyle Fuller was the first pick. But Kevin White, Leonard Floyd, Mitch Trubisky, three straight top ten picks. That's what you got. You got three straight up bad players for the Bears. That's tough. That's man. like that's you can't I, I I can't fathom surviving that as a GM. It's just not it's not good. This is from third Michael Carter. Who would you
0: have why, who would you have taken at 23, 66, and 86 instead of making the ab- abominable trade? Abominable Elijah, strong. Abominable is strong for Elijah, Elijah Vera Tucker. He has a second question, but answer that one first.
1: All right. So just going off PFF draft board and like positions on the roster, he would have attacked. 23 would have been Christian Derrissaw. And I push back on the like knowing that Elijah Vera Tucker is going to be that much better of a guard. than like If you wanted Derrissaw to play guard, I think you'd be an elite guard. I think you'd be yeah. a Pro Bowl guard. I, I I also think he can be like an average to above-average tackle, and which I think is he can way be more valuable than, too, than yeah. the Pro Bowl but, if you'd lack, like he'd line up at guard. But that one – so, yeah, Darisaw at 23. We could have gone Ronnie Perkins at 66, corner to the PFF draft board. And we would have gone Quinn Miners at 86, the Wisconsin White – so, Ronnie Perkins, the Oklahoma defensive end. Quinn Miners, the Wisconsin Whitewater center.
0: I would have liked that draft. Yeah, Darisaw
1: <laughs> and Miners would have been – Nice needle, little needle mover there. miner's probably played guard for them, I'd imagine, with what's-his-face, the guy who came over for the Broncos. But, yeah. So,
0: Second question from the third, Michael Carter. What, who, what would it have taken for the Jets to move up to 12 instead of 14 in order to
1: draft Slater? So they gave up the two third-rounders in their first. Uh, they got the first and, the, and they, they got a fourth in return. They probably just don't get the fourth in return is what it would have been. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think it would have taken too much more. Yeah. Um, so, yeah.
0: There you go. I think they had Elijah Vera Tucker really high on their board, though. They were big on Elijah Vera Tucker. All right. Let's go to BeastBot754. Love the pod. I'm going to keep it short and simple. Love that. Thank you. What are some of the best undrafted free agent signings? And why, are, why, are, why is one of them Charles Snowden for the Bears? <laughs> Charles Snowden was on this podcast. Snowden. His comp in the, the draft guide is Kawhi Leonard. Yeah, he is. He's got one of the wilder frames in the NFL right
1: now. <laughs> he could be. He could be the next Leonard Floyd for you. Oh man, Which, that's actually. I mean, Leonard Floyd makes sixteen million a year. Okay, well now Leonard Floyd finally started with Aaron Donald, but like for them, yeah, was yeah, nothing. But paying for sacks. over there. I'll give Angeles. you ten guys that are like ten guys and ten fits where I think these guys could make a roster, maybe make well, an I mean, impact. Give us ten guys. <laughs> ten oh. guys. Obviously, going to start off with their Darius Washington, the TCU safety to the Ravens. Love that one. Next one I'll highlight is I love is wide receiver K Johnson, South Dakota State, to the Seahawks. I think those were the two highest guys in the PFF board that didn't go drafted. After that, cor- USC cornerback Elijah Griffin to the Bills. Really surprised this guy went undrafted. Now he's super skinny. Uh, he's like 175, 180 pounds for a cornerback. Probably a big reason why. They've obviously had some success there with some skinny cornerbacks in Levi Wallace, who was like the same size coming out, or also very skinny, who's played well for them as UDFA. I, I think he makes that roster. He came out early, Elijah Griffith did, out of USC. Uh, so did our dearest Washington, actually. So surprisingly, like, those guys come out early, don't get drafted, hate to see stuff like that, getting some bad advice. Uh, now Puka Williams, the running back of Kansas to the Bengals, I think he could make that roster. Could be Gio Bernard, but they also draft Chris Evans, so we'll sh- we shall see about that. Um, Marvin Jones, Florida State defensive tackle to the Browns, had to be something else there for him to go undrafted. I, I wonder if... There's some injury lingering that never got reported or something because that guy's tape, we said it wasn't great. It was not UDFA tape. So Marvin Jones, defensive tackle of the Browns. Austin Fowlio, uh, probably not pronouncing that right, the Oregon defensive Faleo. tackle. I think it's Faleo. Faleo to the Cowboys. Uh, he is not a pass rusher. He can two-gap in the run game, though. Cowboys don't have a lot of guys who can two-gap in the run game at DT. Uh, I think he is one of them. I think he makes that roster because of that, because they were so dog shit in run defense last year that he at least can bring that to the table. Illinois State safety Christian Uphoff to the Packers. I I think he's a physical, uh, one of of the more physical safeties in this class. I I liked what he did in coverage on his tape at Illinois State, some versatility there. And, And I think in sort of that scheme, it will free him up to do that more and not have to worry about the run defense where he wasn't as strong dj daniels the georgia cornerback to the jaguars i like that fit i think he might even switch to safety there i think that might be his best position in the nfl uh i think he could have some versatility if he did flip to safety in his coverage uh what he can do and obviously they brought over a dude from the ravens where they use a lot of safeties versus versatility versatily. yeah and Malik Herring, the Georgia defensive end to the Chiefs now, the next one. Uh, I, I think the Chiefs, with how they set up their defense, so much dime. They need that front four to stop the run, and he can do that, Malik Herring. He's not going to rush the passer. He's not super explosive, but that guy can set an edge. So I think he can make that roster there in Kansas City where obviously they don't have a ton of edge talent at the moment. Last, but certainly not least, Ohio State linebacker Justin Hilliard. Obviously, the injury concerns here, why he falls to UDFA. Never stayed healthy. This was his only healthy year this past year, and it was like his sixth year in college. So he goes to the 49ers where uh, they know a thing or two about developing linebackers there. So I like that fit.
0: Lastly, Kate Johnson? I said
1: Kate Johnson right
0: Oh, sorry. Justin Hilliard, I will say, if he could stay healthy, could have some opportunities with San Francisco. The problem yeah. has been with him was health. I mean, that's been yes. the whole thing. I was also surprised that Christian Uphoff got um, – Didn't get get drafted. He Mm -hmm. had a decent pro day at Northern Illinois. Interesting stuff there. Ardarius Washington, obviously, highest-graded guy, but highest-ranked guy that didn't get drafted, right, on PFF's network. Yeah, yeah. All righty. This next mailbag question is from Symbol. PFF has partnered with Symbol, S-I-M-B-U-L-L, the stock market for sports that allows you to trade sports teams like stocks and earn cash payouts when your teams win. Symbol has blended sports and the stock market to offer you the new way to invest, invest in, and profit off your favorite teams. The MLB is in full swing for the rest of the summer, allowing you to earn daily cash payouts, and NFL free agency is still going on. So whoever lands the top of the market player will be sure to see their team's stock rise. Use promo code PFF and deposit $10 at symbol.app/pff to earn a free PFF annual subscription. That's promo code PFF with a $10 deposit at symbol.app/pff to earn a free annual subscription. Sneaky, sneaky promo right there. Next mailbag question. Got him. Will Clank is actually the next mailbag question. Is it safe to say Tyreek Hill has changed the game in more ways people give him credit for. Okay, Anthony Trash Burner here. Mm-hmm. The need for speed in the NFL has almost seemed, almost seemed like it has become overrated when you see guys like Henry Ruggs over Judy and Lamb last year and everyone trying to make player comps to Hill like Waddle this year. In your opinion, has speed become overrated in the draft process as to other change of direction, testing, production, etc.?
1: No. Speed has not wow. become overrated. It was always overrated. Okay. Okay. I mean, go back. Just go back and look. You got Darius Hayward Bay going over Michael Crabtree specifically at the wide receiver position. Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm saying. At the wide receiver position, Kevin Cole even did a a fantastic analysis about this, uh, about what uh, what combine drills, how how they matter towards draft status and then NFL production, and found that forty really not much of a correlation to production in the NFL. Huge correlation to where you get drafted in the NFL. And massively fast, 40 times go higher because people have always kind of become a name. Well, rarity. Enamored it's not even just speed.
0: speed. Like they want rarity. Like there are yes. like, uh, there's like, there's so few people in the world that can actually yeah. run as fast as some of these guys that get drafted in the first round. Yeah.
1: And so you, that's why you get Darius Bay going over Michael Crabtree. You get Ted Ginn going ninth overall when he wasn't even really a wide receiver at Ohio State. Uh, getting drafted over a guy like Dwayne Bowes, much more productive Oscar Troy Williamson. Going you don't bring overall. up
0: the name that everyone wants
1: to hear. I'm going to be upset. Who's the name everyone wants to hear? John Ross. John Ross. going top, But John Ross was good in college. Oh, come on. He's also drafted for speed. Oh, yeah, but I mean, he was actually good, though, in college also. Like, that wasn't – like, some of these guys back there were just drafted because of speed. Now, John Ross uh, was uh, – failed for different reasons that we'll get to at <laughs> later dates, but it's always been overrated. Yeah. It's always been overrated.
0: All right, this is from Josh Gag, who I think has asked multiple questions. Hey guys, I'm a big LSU fan, and I wanted to know if you guys have any thoughts on a couple of star sophomores, Eli Ricks and Kayshawn Boot. I don't know how that's how you pronounce it. I
1: think it's Bootay.
0: Bootay. although although it's still a couple of years away, I shouldn't have laughed at Bootay, and I'm sorry. I'm going to apologize to the listeners. Although it's still Austin's a couple of years away, are there are there two are they two prospects to get excited about for the 2023 draft? I will say this: I've watched some Bootay. And he's he's pretty fire, man. And he's he's got he's got some interesting, some interesting traits. He's also done really well. His production has been really good on the outside and on the inside. I'm a, I'm a big fan of Boute. I haven't watched a ton of Ricks though.
1: Can we, this boote question, you laughing at it, brings up a different topic that we we're talking about before the show that I'm just gonna pivot to real quick. Can we tell the listeners about the tattoo you're about to get? Yes, absolutely. Okay, go ahead and tell them. So the I, I am getting.
0: a diehard office fan. And Mike was never gonna like this tattoo. I'm gonna say this right now. I'm a diehard office fan. You don't fan. have a tattoo, right? I don't okay. have a tattoo. This will be okay. my first tattoo. This might be a midlife crisis, whatever it may be, it's there. Sounds like I'm it. I'm getting a, a tattoo, and it's gonna be a quote from The Office, yeah. uh, and and I'm sticking to it, man. This is this is this is what this is me, dude. I, I have to I have to do it. I'm gonna go I'm gonna go high thigh, it's high, be high forward
1: front of your thigh. Front
0: of your th- oh no, might be like on the side. Side of the, the thigh. Side, of thigh. Okay. Side, side. of the left thigh. And it's 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 from one of the episodes where Michael Scott is complaining to Ryan, who's that then the manager there, about the creative agency. He says, You're not creative, you shouldn't be doing this, blah blah blah. And he's like, It's like you can cook, but I'm not gonna ask you to start a restaurant. And Michael Scott says, and this is the quote, Well, I can't cook and I am starting a restaurant. That is one of the funniest quotes of the show. No one knows it but me, and I'm gonna put it on my body.
1: Um some thoughts. Uh one, how do you just side thigh i don't know how i decided side thigh that's what the boudet thing reminded. like i would put that on my if i'm going to get a tattoo that i really don't want people to see which i would hope you don't really want people to I see i want everyone to see it i would get it on my ass so I'm now now i'm reconsidering and i might get it on my neck
0: <laughs> i think the neck might be the
1: best and i feel move. like this is going to be a gateway to you like i said getting like five or six really shitty tattoos yeah that but I honestly, is that is that
0: not my brand
1: see. it kind of is like you see those guys in coffee shops all the time that's and you're me
0: like, Damn. Sorry, sorry, I'm freaking self-aware, Mike. I'm trying to own my brand here. Okay, not everyone oh, can be as great as you. All right, I'm just, I'm sorry. That's, that's Some people just... have to make bad decisions, okay, just to let you fucking prop up on your pedestal. Okay, sorry. Uh, anyway, it's, I don't think it's a bad decision. I like it. You'll die.
1: You'll die in a hole. Good luck. All right. Good luck. All right. Butte. What you ta- Have you watched Butte
0: or, yeah, or Rick's? Yeah, I've
1: watched both Ricks and Butte. Now Ricks. Stars, so both true freshmen last year, I believe. Uh, Ricks had 85.6 coverage grade, played really, really well. Uh, Sub-50 completion percentage, long, physical, especially for a freshman, I was surprised at how just like he would bully guys, which is a nice thing to hang your hat on. And, and it's good feed actually for a taller corner, 6'2", around 200 pounds, but man, he's slow. Like this guy, I was surprised. It was the biggest like kind of eye-opener for me watching his tape. It's like following a crossing route. You know, elite cornerbacks, the top tier, the Derek Stingley's of the world. I don't care who they're guarding. If they get a crossing route, they're making up ground on that guy on the crossing route. He was seeding ground to dudes like from Mississippi State on crossers. And I was like, eesh, that's a little scary. Now, I went back and looked at then his recruiting profile. He ran a four six eight coming out. Now, he'll probably get faster, but I don't think he's ever going to be burner dude. So I, that could limit where he ends up getting drafted. It may, may not limit him at the NFL level. Like, Rich Sherman run 4, 5, 6, best cornerback of the last decade. So, it's not necessarily a death knell, but he may not be top-tier type of prospect. Definitely not a the Derek Stingley level of prospect. Booty, on the other hand, this dude could be special. Uh, I was very impressed with this tape for a true freshman. Over 500 yards in his final three games. Over 300 yards against Ole Miss. Now it was like all dig routes over that span. He was just running dig after dig. Uh, but he is talented route runner he can get off last of scrimmage he's still a skinny dude and he's going to get stronger he only went four or seven and contested catches last year but this guy's this guy's a first round type of prospect I'll, I'll say it right now he's going to be a good wide receiver
0: yeah i'm a i'm a, I'm a, I'm a huge fan i'm a huge fan of bootay i got to watch more of Ricks. got to watch more of rick's gotta watch more of rick's all right Still trying to recover from the body bag of the tattoo, I'm getting. Kate Snell, hey, PFF, I never tend to ask these questions. but I was going to say, guys online, cyberbully, awesome. Cyberbully, bully, I'd be interested in people's opinion. Is (laughs) is this a disaster? Am I I going downhill? Is this it? I'd be interested to know because, you know, I I need to know. Hey, uh, PFF, I never tend to ask these questions, but me and some friends were debating this the other day. Quick question as an NFL fan base or even a GM, would you rather have a young franchise quarterback who is a top 10 QB or potential top 10 QB but be a bad team, like 22nd to 32nd personnel-wise, Deshaun Watson the Texan, Matt Stafford's career, Kyler Murray. I I don't know if I would put him there. Trevor Lawrence, Zach Wilson, whatever. Or would you re- rather have a really good team, maybe a borderline, maybe borderline great with a middle-of-the-pack quarterback potentially below average, a team that is a quarterback away, like the 2017 Jaguars with Blake Bortles, 2018 Bears, current-day Colts, football team, Broncos. Like essentially, would you rather be today's Jaguars-Jets or 2017 Jaguars, 2018 Bears, 2018 Rams.
1: I'm curious to know what would you prefer and what's the better situation. Well so I, obviously me being or whoever you are as a GM, I feel like you should be confident in your ability to build a roster, to evaluate talent. And so if you have but some the quarterback position isn't always one that you can just a lot of times you just you fall into it. You you can't plan to get a quarterback unless you want tank. And so if you have a good roster, you're obviously not going to be able to tank to go get that quarterback. So you kind of can play in that no man's land when you do have a 2017 Jags, 2018 Bears roster where you're too good to ever find that QB. And all the guys you can get are kind of your the middle of the road. Now, I think there's chances to do better than that. You, like, ever, there Guys have come along in recent years that you can find that are quality quarterbacks, borderline top 10 guys that have come available, whether it's Tom Brady, Philip Rivers, even Kirk Cousins, in that regard, that are options. But I'd like to be the QB team because I think in the NFL, with the way the cap rollover works, uh, and when you're not a good roster, you probably don't have a lot of cap commitments outside your quarterback, you can always shoot your shot to a degree. You you can always go all in for a two or three-year stretch with free agent moves, trade moves, whatever, to be a damn good team that in that span now keeping that team together as we saw with the Jaguars is very difficult when you do shoot your shot because free agency those contracts are big those cap hits get up there and keeping guys like uh, keeping that roster intact is the difficult part of it I think finding those guys and getting that sort of window is very feasible uh, no matter who you are if you if you want to go all in if you want to do that now a lot of teams don't a lot of teams kind of just go halfway dip a toe in every single year which is not what we would recommend and we kind yeah. of push back on that every i just uh, think it's really important for what, what-
0: what you do at the quarterback position is is when you make a decision to offer a quarterback a second contract. When you have a quarterback under center that is not on a rookie deal, is it a Ryan Fitzpatrick who is, you're not super committed, obviously it's a one-year deal, it's not a ton of money, or is it a Kirk Cousins or a Derek Carr or Carson Wentz a Jared Goff, one of these situations where you're paying a ton of money, mm-hmm. you're a financially committed, out the ass and now you have to hit on every single draft pick or it's not gonna really go work like it's not you're not gonna pan out or the quarterback has to play to the level that you're paying him and sometimes they regress and sometimes injuries hit all that type of stuff yeah. i think i my my philosophy would be to always have a quarterback i'm grooming on a rookie contract and if i'm not and if say i'm not in a position to have one i'm going to take a flyer on a ryan fitzpatrick or low low value options until i see my peyton manning opportunity or my tom brady opportunity mm-hmm. you know until i get that rare opportunity where one of those guys is on the market I'm just going to continue to kick the can, continue to draft good players at valuable positions, and take very, very good quarterback prospects when I lose enough games to get one. Yeah. That, that's that got to be the move. It's You avoid the Kirk Cousins situation. You avoid the Derek Carr. Even the Matthew Staff, Like You avoid these quarterbacks that are always going to be QB 8 to QB 14 at their best, and instead, you take the guys that are QB 20, like Ryan Fitzpatrick, until you find your guy, until you can like actually financially invest in your guy. Mm-hmm. All right or make a trade-up like San Francisco, like San Francisco like, went in. They're like, hey, we're going up, and we're making a play. All right, this is from Al Burrito 97 I'm a Colts fan and have been seeing a lot of buzz about moving Big Q to left tackle for the season. With the signing of Eric Fisher, the move is unlikely to happen, but my question for you is, what are your thoughts on moving a guy who's arguably the best guard in the league to left tackle? Would it be
1: worth to move someone like Big Q to left tackle? I vied for that coming out. I would have loved to have seen it. I thought he could have done it and been very good there at this point i don't think you do it i I, I just think like again when you sign eric fisher you're not gonna move eric fisher inside now obviously he may not be ready for the season and even if he does play like the injury risk is probably high there with his age and with it coming off that achilles but so cross training him there could obviously help i'd rather have i'd rather kick him out there in a pinch than play you know some slapdick backup that you might have Hmm but i do think maybe when you sign him to a to that big guard deal they'd be like hey you're playing tackle instead after you sign that big guard deal and then you don't have to pay him like a tackle you have, you paid him like a guard oh wow so you're going to dupe him
0: you're going to like what, <laughs> you're uh, going like to trick him <laughs> <laughs> you're like I'm best player it. on the team
1: <laughs> but I, I just yeah i think at this point the ship has sailed i agree especially with the eric fisher signing but I do think it's an interesting. But know, it's like you saw Braden Smith fucking do it. Like we just saw Braden Smith do it. Yeah. Very good guard. Very good guard prospect. Not even long arms. Not as good in as case, Quentin Nelson though. Yeah. And like not even a, as good a body for tackle position as Quentin Nelson. And he comes out and he's a top 10 right tackle in the NFL now.
0: Yeah. Dude's a dog. Dude's an absolute dog. This next question is from Western Southern. In these uncertain times, life is full of questions. Like, when should I start thinking about life insurance? But however difficult these questions may be, Western Southern can help you answer them. Backed by over 130 years of experience. Together, we can look ahead to leave the unknown behind. Western Southern Financial Group, life insurance, retirement, and investments. Western Southern, the helmet on the table as well. They are the sponsor of the 2 for 1 Drafts podcast. You love to see it, as are the Campbell, Cam- Camels. Camels. The Campbell Camels will always be a sponsor. And if you want to be a sponsor on this podcast, you can definitely reach out to me via DM. If you want to send us some cool stuff, we're all going to put it on here. I got some, PJ Fleck is setting up some books. He's got a new book coming yeah. out. I'm going to throw some books on the table. we got smelling salts on the table.
1: I'll throw anything on the table. So I didn't realize Campbell didn't win a can this history. Oh, God damn it. They went 0-4. That's fine though. That's fine. We, got, we believe Mike Minner. You can't you need come, us to come give a speech. First. We'll we'll be at Campbell in a heartbeat.
0: Oh, dude, we're gonna be in Campbell this year. I actually don't think I'll go to another game. I, I'm only gonna Just be Campbell. in Campbell this year, Quinn. We're going to Campbell, Quinn. We are going to Campbell. All right. Actual next question. This is from Momo FT Twins. I don't know what this is. Hello, guys. Mom I love of the twins. Show. Mom of twins. I'm an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> I'm an idiot. Oh my god. Mom of twins. Hello. All right. I should fix my posture here. Hello, guys. Love the show. My question is about Southeastern Louisiana quarterback Cole Kelly. Holy shit. Mom of twins in a deep cut here. He he won the Walter Payton Award, FCS Heisman, and I believe is coming back for another year of college football. Would he be an NFL prospect? Second question is what other FCS players are likely to be drafted or are draftable next year? Cole Kelly, Southeastern Louisiana. Mike, I need to know.
1: Oh, shit. I forgot. I didn't get to the second part of this. I will get to the second part. Question of which FCS prospects should have drafted next year. I don't anyway, know the mailbag. I don't know the mailbag. That one I missed. But the Cole Kelly part of it, watch this tape, few games of him. Interesting dude, he's 6'7", 260. Oh, wow. Started his career at Arkansas, played, started games as a redshirt freshman there, moved on to Southeast Louisiana a couple of years ago. So he was in the 2016 recruit, recruiting class. So he's old. As, he's Brandon Whedon says he's going to be a sixth year. So he can be like 24 coming out. But he did have a 90.3 grade. Like it was a well, it was a warranted FCS Heisman for him, or the Walter Payton Award, shall we say? But he's prospect wise not, not great. I, I wouldn't call him a borderline draftable at this point. And so I guess like he'll he'll see a roster in the NFL, I, I would bet. Um, watch his games. He had Daniel, I described it as Daniel Jones' pocket presence.
0: I love Daniel Jones' pocket presence.
1: Where it's like, (laughs) I don't think he actually knows that people are around him. Like he averaged ten. Blacks out. He like blacks out in the pocket. The ten averaged ten point five yards per attempt under pressure last year, as opposed to only eight when not pressured. That's insane. But then he also had seven fumbles in seven games. That's the Daniel Jones. That's the Daniel Jones. Like Mm -hmm. he just like doesn't know that things are happening around him. Which, when you have a good line, that's a good thing. When you don't have a good line, that can be a disaster. So uh the offense he played in there southeast louisiana i wrote reminds me of oregon's with herbert where it's like a lot of swing screens a lot of like not super downfield so he only has 11 big time throws in seven games but i think he has a fairly good arm um just kind of inconsistent with his feet he overstrides a lot and just kind of throws too many off-platform throws when he's not that kind of athlete so six seven two sixty is interesting that'll kind of turn heads at the nfl level i I wouldn't be surprised if he gets uh, like a shrine bowl invite next year. Shrine so bowl season. We're
0: actually trying to get out to the shrine bowl this year. Oh, we're going. We're, we're going. We're going to the shrine bowl. We're gonna be to the shrine bowl, senior bowl, combine. I'm gonna go everywhere. Do Super Bowl potentially, it's in LA. I kinda wanna make a play. I'm go. we, have to go. we have to go. We have to go. We gotta get George to get us to get out there. George hurry, if you're listening to the pod, we need the invites. All right, King Duke forty one. I'm a big Chargers fan, and I like the draft we had. I have three questions. My comp for Asante Samuel Jr. is Chris Harris Jr., ironically. Can you see Asante Samuel Jr. becoming the number two corner over Chris Harris Jr.? And can can you see him possibly winning Defensive Rookie of the Year or becoming a Pro Bowler? Whew,
1: buddy. It was one of my bets for D-Rookie of the Year. One of my Absolutely. best bets. Now, so a couple things here. Harris signing with the Chargers was dependent on him being a slot cornerback. He said when we were at nickel, I'm playing slot. That's where he wanted to go to a team that would let him do that. So, yes, so when like they're in three w- cornerbacks, which was eighty two percent of the time last year for Brent Staley and the Rams, they do not they Troy Hill played it was their slot cornerback last year in Los Angeles. He played almost a thousand snaps. So holy shit. He will be playing a lot. Like aside of Stanley Jr., even if he's not considered, you know, starter, will be playing a lot and would will be playing on the outside in that defense. So I guess that's a yes. Now, number two over Chris Harris, uh, like I said, that's not really like a, at this point with how much nickel they're playing, it's not calling it the number two. I don't think it's really that important of a distinction.
0: Second question from King Duke 41. What's your take on Josh Palmer? Can you see him becoming the legit
1: number two receiver, possibly replacing Mike Williams? I think that's the plan. Like he's not a, Palmer's not a slot. Palmer's an outside wide receiver. Uh, to be to get three wide receivers on the field there, I think Keenan Allen goes into the slot. And so he's he and he can work from the slot on any outside. He's yeah. played 50-50 this whole career, like in the inside and outside. Yeah. And so Mike Williams, obviously this is his fifth year. They picked up that option. Might just let him walk after this year. I think that seemingly looks like the plan unless he just blows up. Yeah. So but he's got to stay healthy. Mm-hmm.
0: I think a lot of people have commented on how he jumps in the air and comes down and like he always just lands funky and awkward. that's like where a lot of his injuries have happened. Funky is probably a cooler word than awkward. But what's your take it on I cool. tweeted I tweeted this out and I think Brad Spielberger has talked about it a bit, but Julio Jones to Los Angeles. What do you think about that fit? He talked about it because like one, jam. you know, you could he could fill in an outside receiver, whatever. And also they have like money down the road to where they could afford him and pay him. Mm. What's your take on, on maybe giving Justin Herbert Julio
1: Jones? I mean, yeah, anyone, give anyone Julio Jones.
0: But okay, there's fairytale fits too. Like the Chiefs can't afford them, the Packers can't afford yeah. them. Like, but I'm saying of the legitimate, actual
1: potential fits. I wouldn't want to pay Julio Jones. He's 32. Okay. You know?
0: You just said give everyone Julio Jones. And now you're saying, for, no, like, I would I'm not saying, want to pay him.
1: I'm saying, like, for next year, sweet. I got oh, okay. Julio Jones. But the dude's 32 years old. We got to be serious. Like, he's 32 years old and wants, so he said he wants to win, but he probably also wants, like, some more chat. So, like, that to play out his contract. But so, we're, even more chats. where do
0: you think he also ends up
1: i think new england okay
0: yeah all right all right last one here what's your take on chris rumpf haven't heard you talk about him on the pod much thanks guys keep up the great work the in- true inspiration to nerds everywhere that's i might
1: get that tattooed on my thigh honestly all right go ahead uh rump though we talked about him a lot heading into 2020 we didn't have a great season the single best past rusher in terms of just his hands and skill, skill wise, in the draft class, he is. The guys, the like his dad's an, a defensive end, outside linebacker coach. Dad, dad coaches pass rushers. He, he knows what the hell he's doing. It's just the body getting up to NFL size, combined with that NFL like explosiveness. Because when he was at his best was in 2019, and he weighed 225 pounds, rushing the passer, not gonna fly in the NFL. So that one's the big unknown. Didn't test his pro day, but showed up like 245. So we'll see. But it was worth the flyer where they took him. Like I said, for how skilled he is, I think he may even have an off-ball move in his future if he can't. Ooh, off-ball move. All right. Love an off-ball move.
0: Love an off-ball move. All right, this is from P-Buck81. Patriots receiving yards leader. Really big fan of the show and a diehard Patriots fan. With all that's happened this offseason, we've seen the acquisitions of Henry, you know Hunter Henry, Jonathan Smith, Nelson Aguilar, Kendrick Bourne, and they all provide different strengths and type of play. But my big question is, who do you think the receiving yards leader is, and do you think it would be the same person or different depending on who
1: starts at quarterback for a majority of the season? I think it would be different, yes, depending on who starts. If Cam Newton is a starter, I think it's Hunter Henry. I just think that's the type of receiver he's. So the Greg Olson. The Greg Olson. Not Hunter Henry's not quite as athletic as Greg Olson, but think back to 2015 Panthers, Cam Newton's MVP year. Olson had 1,100 yards that year. 124 targets. The next closest on that Panthers team was Ted Ginn with 739. Like it was, he was the number one there. And because he likes to target the seams over the middle of the field where the tight ends are working, I think that's kind of why they built this tight end heavy offense for Cam. If it's Mack, I think you'll see him obviously work kind of the outside more. You'll see him work. Nelson Aguilar, I would guess, would be the guy then at that point. Possibly, uh, names escaping me, who's the guy? Jacoby Myers? Jacoby Myers, yeah, possibly Jacoby Myers also because I think he's more your underneath slot route runner that Matt could target. So one of those two I'd say if if uh, Mac starts in the majority of the games. Last one of the mailbag here. This is
0: from Matt Steamed Rice. Confused. You mentioned that you were the most confident in your offensive line rankings projecting from college to the pros, but when you rank the positions from year to year stability, off center and offensive tackle – or one of the least stable seems to be a bit contradictory. Help me out.
1: So awesome. okay, I, I talked. I had a chat with Eric Eager about this because, like I said, I, he was the and he gave me the initial list that was purely purely just a data report. Um, the biggest thing uh, after my conversation with him is it's the offensive line developmental curve that kind of skews this data. So you get a guy like Colton Miller, who has extremely unstable uh, wins above replacement. Because he wasn't he shouldn't have been out there year one. But offensive linemen all all too often, or pretty much always, if you're drafting offensive lineman, he gets thrown out there to the Wolves. And so you have a very high chance of guys playing before they're ready and getting big negative war values. Guys like Colton Miller, Jake Matthews, Garrett Bowles, all like rookie year were, you know, kind of disasters. Like had were below replacement level players. But then year two, year three, you see them go into good even elite players in some cases so it's like that's a huge that says they're if you just look that at that vacuum it's super unstable their grades but it's because uh so a guy say a wide receiver like a henry ruggs doesn't produce but he doesn't have a massive negative war value because he's not getting toasted every play it's just kind of he's ineffective he's not really showing up much so i think that's the biggest difference is when you are kind of playing too early at that position, you have a very high likelihood of negative, like, the variance of war outcomes is massive. Between
0: year one, year two, and year three, year four is massive. I agree. I mean, you look at, like, DJ Humphreys, Colt Miller, like, these guys that, like, take time. I I don't even think it's just tackle. I mean, I don't think it's just tackle. It's, like, across the offensive line. line, line You rarely see... I think I've said this multiple times, but like Tristan Worfs is, is rare. Beautiful. Tristan Worfs is not yeah. walking through that door. I know he's yeah, on last year's future podcast. Class. I'm trying to pump him up a little bit, but still like Tristan Worfs, what he did last year was like legitimately insane. Like to come in as a rookie, as young as he was too, like he was not like a 25, you know, 24, 25 year old prospect, right? I mean, this is a guy that came out early and dominated in the NFL out of the gate. Won a Super Bowl out of the gate. So um, definitely think that that's a good answer to that question. That's going to do it for this mailbag here. Um, Upcoming episodes on Wednesday. We're going to look at some more. Um, I think we're looking at some college 2022.
1: football, huh? Twenty twenty two stuff.
0: We're looking at twenty twenty two. We're going to look at some of the best players in the twenty twenty two NFL draft. Also, some of the best players returning to school in college football. We also have that interview with Tristan Worse on a future episode. But right now, before we jump, let's get to this interview with PJ Fleck, my guy, PJ Fleck, Minnesota head coach. Let's get it. Now joining the Two Four Drafts podcast is current Minnesota coach PJ Fleck. PJ, great to have you on, man.
2: Austin, thanks for having us on the show, man.
0: Absolutely. So I want to talk where I want to start, because I think you are one of the more exciting coaches in college football. I think every clip you see of you on Twitter or YouTube, wherever it may be, bring a ton of energy and you bring a ton of enthusiasm to what you do. I want to talk a little bit about kind of the journey, how you got to Minnesota. Obviously, started um, early on, you know, wide receivers coach at NIU, Rutgers, Tampa Bay Buccaneers, then moving to Western Michigan for a few years, where kind of that row the boat started and, and where that energy and a lot of, you know hype around coach pj fleck then to minnesota from there talk to me about kind of the path to success or the path going from obviously the wide receivers coach with niu and so forth, or not niu yep niu and then getting to minnesota and how that kind of built you up and, and brought you to where you are now
2: yeah you know I mean, it kind of stems back to just kind of my upbringing i mean i was always the king of the twos too too small too short too slow too whatever right so you always had to you had to be a little bit different and you don't try to be different you're just you're yourself but you realize that what you had inside you might have been a little bit different right and that was the energy i had i could go forever uh i mean i was always the last kid to come home on the block uh, and i just had this enormous love for life just in general and when uh, i kind of got a little bit older my mom was involved in special education she was an assistant a special education assistant in a school in aurora illinois uh, my dad worked for at&t also terminix And, but we never had like coaching in our background, but I had education in my background. I had my mom, you know, took me to school with her in the summer, made me answer phones. uh, And I fell in love with just education. Right. And so I knew I wanted to be a teacher. So I got my elementary education degree and the best of both worlds kind of collided when I got done playing with the 49ers after two and a half years, when they, when they still think you're on the roster and (laughs) they're on the roster and they decide to cut (laughs) you. This guy survived two and a half years, get him out of here. After that, it was more like, all right, well, I love to coach uh, or I love to teach, I love education. I, I started teaching sixth grade social studies and then I, I got into I got into coaching and had amazing coaches help me uh, in my journey. I mean, remember, I, I, I didn't have a family that knew all these coaches. I had to do it really the hard way. And really the hard way to me was just having people take a chance on me. But it was that work ethic and it was that energy and that was that positivity and that drive that maybe separated me a little bit early. And every time I go somewhere, I just get separated a little bit just because of that. Uh, you can go a long ways if you have that. Uh, now, you need to be able to combine that with skill and talent and everything else. But you can go a long ways if you have that. And then people will take a chance on you. And I've been very fortunate, very humbled, very blessed to have people believe that uh, believe that I had what it takes to be a head coach one day. I think
0: a lot of people can relate to the king of the twos, too small, too whatever. You know, I think a lot of people can feel that, and I think that's awesome to see for you. I think people don't know, too, that you were you a know, former receiver at Northern Illinois, also played for the San Francisco 49ers, and a lot of the work you've done has been with wide receivers. You have that really awesome wide receiver coaching clinic that people can find on YouTube. That infatuation with the receiver position has really shown in some of the products that have come out of Western Michigan, obviously Corey Davis and even of late Minnesota with you have Rashawn Bateman, Tyler Johnson, and now Chris Ottman bell What exactly do you think separates you from maybe other people that do work wide receivers? How are you, you know, such a technician with that position? What specific principles do you like to, you know, kind of you know, imply on wide receivers and how you coach them up?
2: Yeah. Uh, first of all, I, I mean, we all have our own coaching philosophies and the way we teach and educate and do all of that, right? There was a guy by the name of Jerry Sullivan, who I consider the godfather. Whatever I did in my career wide receiver wise was because of Jerry Sullivan. Now I didn't meet Jerry Sullivan until he was my wide receiver coach for the San Francisco 49ers, but it was the first time in my career that I got coached like truly coached. And the reason why I say that is because there's developmental coaching and then there's ego coaching. And a lot of times I got coached with ego, meaning, well, why, why, why do you want me to do that? Well, because I said so, <laughs> right? There was no answer for, mm-hmm. for, for, for why. Development coaches know why. They can always tell you why. So the way we teach wide receiver play, everything we do, from releases to the blocking, to our to our breakpoints, to the middle part of routes, to our upper body separated from our lower body. We kind of cut the player in half and then develop both. Um, the way we think about wide receiver play, the routes we run, our route tree, how we do all of it really is unique. Uh, but it's it's our way of doing it. It's our philosophy. Uh, and it's everything we do, there's a why behind it. We don't want to set up a bunch of cones and say, run around them and get fast and get quick. That's the strength coach's job. That's, that, that's his job. My job is to make you a better wide receiver.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Jerry Sullivan has a lot to do with that. He taught me a lot of the pillars that I believe in. And then you mix them with your own philosophy. Remember, I, I, I know I don't look like much, but I played in the NFL for a while. I, I stuck around for two and a half. Years. <laughs> and you learn as a player, what might work for me might not work for a guy that's 6'5 and runs a three forty. What works for him might not work for a guy like me. And every single player, that's why they're not coached equally. They're coached fairly because everybody needs a little bit of something different. And I think that Matt Simon, our wide receiver coach, who played for me at Northern Illinois, who played for the New Orleans Saints, Luke Getz, who was my wide receiver coach before that, who coaches Aaron Rodgers. Uh, it's, you, you truly develop by knowing why and, ex- and making sure your players want to know why. And in this generation, you better know why or they're not going to listen to you.
0: Sticking with the wide receiver position for a little bit on this podcast, we look a lot at, you know, evaluating talent, specifically the wide receiver position among others. I'd be interested to know, because I think it's an interesting conversation about what exactly is the most important when you're evaluating a wide receiver going from college, the NFL, or even high school to the NFL. Some people look at separation ability, route running, contested catchability, ball skills. When you're looking at a wide receiver prospect or evaluating a wide receiver, what do you feel like are skills that translate most to the NFL and what are the ones that you look for when you are evaluating a wide receiver?
2: Well, I think it's the intangibles. I I think it's the competitiveness. The difference between working hard and competing. Complete difference. I mean, I want a guy that's pushing people out of the line to get back to the front. Not a guy who takes a rep. And next thing you know, 25 later, he's waiting, 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 waiting. Because that's what you're going to inherit. Okay. You 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 there there's there's signs everywhere. Now, we've never been 100 percent recruiting. No one ever has. I mean, if you're (laughs) hitting half to more than half of your recruits, you're doing pretty good, right? Especially these days now in the transfer portal and everything, right? So you wanna find one really competitive, competitive individuals. Two, players who want to be coached, who want to be developed, who know they're coming to you to grow, to be developed. Not that they know, they, they know everything. I'm too you, just roll the balls out and go be you. Look, I want you to be a better version of you today than you were yesterday. Then after those two things, that's when the separation, the hands, right? Uh, the ability to explode from from standing vertical. I look at that, how fast does a player go from where he's at on the ground uh, up high? Doesn't mean he has to have a 40 inch vertical, but he better be able to go that way quick, right? And sudden. Uh, so you start to look at the, the the center of gravity. How well can they play on their instep? What is their balance like, right? How low do they play? Do they bend or do they lean? Big difference. So you start to evaluate all those other physical attributes, but you, you, you can't truly evaluate by height and weight, someone's competitive nature, right? To go find a way to get it done. And that could be at all sizes. So for us, you see all of our guys, we, from Corey Davis from 6'4", to Chad Bateman, who's six foot, to Chris Altman-Bell, who's one, and we've had Daniel Braverman, who was 5'9". We've had everybody in between, and we're gonna continue to keep that tradition going uh, in our culture with wide receiver playing like I said, Matt Simon does a great job.
0: That competitive nature, I think, shows up on Rashad Bateman's tape. You saw that, obviously, over this past season and the year prior. He was on this podcast, I think, a little bit, a couple of months ago and talked about how he battled COVID-19, lost weight, ended up coming back to Minnesota to play receiver position. That's competitiveness. That's that toughness, those intangibles you speak to. Talk about Rashad Bateman's development at Minnesota and maybe your expectations for him in the NFL.
2: Yeah, first of all, Rashad Bateman was a Big Ten offered basketball player. A lot of people don't realize that. He had offers in the Big Ten to go play basketball. And if you watch his basketball tape (laughs) from Tiff County, Georgia, it's phenomenal. Now, he also, when we went down to see him at camp, told me, which most people don't tell you this, you're going to offer me today and I'm going to commit at some point. That's incredible. And you're sitting there going, wait a second. (laughs) He's like, I loved you at Western Michigan. I love what you do with Corey Davis. I love what you guys did there. I want to come play for you. But I'm going to prove to you why you want me. And it was a no-brainer. I still, to this day, haven't had maybe anyone have a better individual workout than he did that day. And he loved every minute of it. It wasn't like he showed me two things and stopped. He did everything that that camp allowed him to do for the entire time. And uh, you know, some kids get, you know, they're doing some, only a few things these days. He did them all. That's what I love. I'm not for everybody. And there's a difference between hard and bad, right? Bad's a completely different, That, that that's not good, right? Mm-hmm. Things should be hard. He made things hard for himself to show what he could do, right? To, to put himself in a hard position. That means you know exactly what you're going to get. Mm-hmm. He was a direct reflection of that his entire career here. He wanted to be a part of something bigger than himself. He wanted to be a part of the roadboat culture and serving and giving, making it about somebody else more than yourself. And uh, he did that. He wanted to turn Minnesota around. And we won 11 games a year and a half ago, two years ago, since uh, uh, first time since 1904. So I would say that he was a part of that, huge part of that.
0: That's awesome, man. Another receiver I want to bring up that obviously you've coached is is Tyler Johnson. He was the highest graded receiver according to PFF in 2019, a guy that we really liked coming out of that season, but ultimately falls to the fifth round, now playing with the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. People had these, in my opinion, awful concerns with Tyler Johnson's game because what he brought to the table, in my opinion, was similar to Rashad Bateman from a route running perspective and his production at Minnesota was obviously spectacular as well. What... I'd love to hear more from you and your perspective on Tyler Johnson and, and maybe why he fell and why you feel like he was not viewed as highly as others thought, And then also what your expectations are for him in the NFL.
2: I remember when we first got here, we almost moved him to safety. I mean, Wow. No, we, we don't, you don't know the roster. You look at spring ball, you look at size, you look at depth, you look at what you need. We had four offensive linemen on the entire team. The day we got here, the entire team, you need five to play. You know, <laughs> that's a problem. So we're sitting there going, who's our best athlete? Where do we need the most help? Good thing we didn't do that. <laughs> Tyler was a guy that fit our development of wide receivers perfectly. He is so strong. He's not, You're not going to look at him and go, wow, he's 6'5". He's 235 pounds. Boy, he's just ripped up. He plays so powerful. And he plays from zero to 60 immediately. He has football fast, right? And he played. Mm-hmm. Strong. And then he's really smart. And then he was willing to understand the game, not only understand the position, understand the big picture. And when you have wide receivers who understand the big picture, they know why and how they fit into that role of why they're running that route and why they're running that route that way with that coverage. They have a better understanding. And the more he understood, the better he got. He can play every single position on the field. He could play X, F, Z. He could play quarterback. I mean, he could do anything. He reminded me of Mohamed Sanu, who I coached at Rutgers. Mohamed Sanu is one of the best athletes I've ever been around. He, he was a high school quarterback. He could throw the ball 80 yards. Tyler was just like that. Tyler just had to be developed. He had to be have his body dissect, dissected. He had to be basically broken down to be built back up. And that's what Matt Simon did with him and turned out to be one of the best receivers in, in Minnesota history. Uh, and already a Super Bowl champ, showed what he could do as a rookie. And people are going to expect and see a ton of things from Tyler Johnson in the future. But his ball skills, again, I, I put him in that Muhammad Sanu ball skill category. When you watch him catch a football, it, it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. It, it, it is truly like an orchestra. It, it, it's, it's gorgeous to watch him play uh, and catch the football. And, and, and Rashad had a lot of that similar quality. But Tyler had the ability to play big. Play finesse, play fast, and then play incredibly powerful and physical and dirty. Not in a bad way, like a dirty player, but just, mm-hmm. just get down into the muck of football. I mean, he could do it all.
0: That comparison to Mohammed's new is honestly fantastic. I'm glad you mentioned that. We can look back at a lot of these guys, Rashad Bateman, Tyler, you know, Tyler Johnson, guys who had a ton of success. But the new guy on campus, the new number one, Chris Ottman Bell already had a handful of really good connections with Tanner Morgan in the spring game for Minnesota. He's now the big guy and how is he feeling in those shoes and how's his development been over the course of this offseason? Again, you know, what are you looking for from, you know, CAB in 2021?
2: Yeah, I think, I think crab has really come along strong. Uh, uh you know, one thing I'll say is that there's one thing to kind of be Robin, right. Uh, and then it, be, you become Batman, you know, there's the Batman's logo goes in the sky. They, they don't <laughs> have Robin logo Robin just comes along. Uh, and there's nothing wrong with that, but now his logo is going to be put in the sky. And there's an expectation to that. There's a pressure earned in that. And he's in the process of doing that. And he's doing a great job of developing. We have probably the youngest and most inexperienced wide receiving core we've had as a program since year one at Western Michigan and year one here at Minnesota. And he has a tall task because he should have his Batman still by him. I mean, Rashad came out early, right? (laughs) Minnesota. they got players leaving early, which is great. Um, but now he's got to be able to accelerate that a little bit faster. And he is, but he's got a lot of guys around him who are a lot younger than him and a lot more inexperienced. So he, his leadership role has been enhanced, which has made him a better player. And the expectation and pressure to be that guy has been more internal than external, which we want. We always want that internal expectation from your teammates, from us, from yourself to be greater than the external. And I think he's handled that really well. Uh, He's been able to be able to expand, uh, his knowledge of every single position. And I think he's ready for the challenge to be, be the next number one guy here. And But he's got a really good supporting cast of very good, very unheard of uh, young wide receivers right now.
0: I want to touch more on some of the, you know, Minnesota golden Gophers that we'll be playing in 2021, but before I do so, something that kind of fascinates me about Minnesota's offense is specifically how much you run RPOs. According to PFFs charting highest percentage of RPOs in the power five this past season. It's something that you obviously make a big part of that offense there at Minnesota. I'd love to hear more on why you feel that is an advantage for Minnesota and why you feel like you put such an emphasis on RPOs with Tanner Morgan and that offense.
2: Well, we have, we have a thing, what we call 78%, right? So, uh, we did a statistic over the last 50 years of football, college, high school, or college pro. And this was done years ago. We believed in this philosophy for a long time of teaching our players how to win football games. PFS all about giving yourself the best chance to win, right? I mean, mm-hmm. have statistics for every single thing. <laughs> Power age, blue or red. It gives you a better chance to win, right? So for us, there were three things. There was the ball. There was explosive plays and tackling. Well, for us, we're in Minnesota and Western Michigan which we deal with Midwest weather in November, you better be able to run the football. Glenn Mason said it best at Minnesota, you better have a pair and a spare. So we're always gonna run the football, but not just deep play action passes when the wind's blowing 25 miles an hour, you better be able to play action pass and run pass option and be able to keep your completion percentage incredibly high. And that's what the RPO does for us. Now, I think defenses are changing more and more to be able to take a little bit more of the RPO game away, which you knew would evolve to. So you've got to continue to expand that as well. But if you can win the ball, right, the turnover margin, you can win the tackling battle, and you can have more explosive plays than someone else. And defensively, reverse speaking, you're going to win the game 78% of the time. So I'll take those odds every single time. And our RPO game gave us the best opportunity to do that offensively to fit in those categories. One, with our running game to keep it very honest, keep defenses honest. And two, be able to complete the football catch and run, and then also get our completion percentage up, which gives us the best opportunity to win. So that's why we've done that. um, And we'll continue to do that. But as football expands, we'll continue to expand our offense, add more things, do it a little bit differently and, and keep moving forward.
0: Two more players I want to bring up before I let you go. I really appreciate the time, Coach. I want to talk specifically about guys that PFF is really high on, specific Daniel Daniel Falele, guy coming back from obviously opting out this past season due to COVID concerns, and also Boye Mafe, who we didn't get an opportunity to see in the spring game, but a lot of hype around him. I think the limited sample size we've seen from Mafe, specifically as a pass rusher, is exciting. And what everyone at PFF, specifically myself, wants to see more of is just more of Boye Mafe, more snaps, obviously. So if you could speak to the development of both those players and obviously their approach in 2021.
2: First of all, I mean, Boye Mafe wins every single thing we do in our combine. You know, we do it twice a year. He wins everything. This guy's a 40-plus-inch vertical guy. I mean, he'll blow Indianapolis out of the water, right? Mm -hmm. We need to do that. Whether he comes out this year or comes out the following year, is going to be up to him. I kind of have a feeling what he's going to do. (laughs) But I would say this. I think last year was Boye's first aha moment, where he actually knew I'm one of the best players in the Big Ten. And it takes everybody. The failing – success, the overcoming adversity, time, growth, mental, physical, and emotional development. It comes at a certain time, but I think towards what you saw at the end of last year, where our defense was getting better and better, you saw this aha moment from him, and we expect huge things out of him. He looks great. Uh, When your best players are your hardest workers, and they're also your best people, you got something special. He's exactly that, so we expect big things as well as you. Daniel, Lele, you know, our 6'9, 385 pound. He's down to 385, by the way, not for Love that. Love that. <laughs> okay, good. Um, you know, obviously, he's got first round um, physical attributes. Uh, the first round's all about things you can't find, right? It, it, it's kind of like, wow, those are the most 32 impressive people that have something that no one else has, whether that's speed, whether that's size, whether that's strength, whether that's experience. There's something that elevates him to the first round that you can't find somewhere else. That's what Daniel has. He's incredibly big. He can move, he can bend, but this is only his fourth year of football. Mm-hmm. Really, it's not a lot of football he's played. So he's, and, and last year he opted out. So it's really his third year of football. He's, he's, he's got to keep playing and the more he plays and the more I've watched in the spring, the better he gets. And what I've seen from Daniel is, this love for the game grow. You know, when you come from Australia and the, and the love is rugby, right? And you come here, it might not be just a, a love like we played foot, American football and Pop Warner, but this love for it and this love to get better and this love to grow and this love to fight through adversity, I've seen from him. And, and that that's a pretty scary thing to see in a good way because he is a force to be reckoned with and we're better with him on the field he just got to keep growing, keep getting better, uh, and, and keep developing as, as a wonderful teammate like he is.
0: Really appreciate the time, Coach. This has been awesome. I, I think it's awesome to see what you've done at Western Michigan and now at Minnesota, and a lot of that is the culture and the energy and the passion and the love that you have for this game and what you do with these players. And a lot of that I know is in your book, Row the Boat and Never Give Up Approach to Lead with Enthusiasm and Optimism and Improve Your Team and Culture. That you can pre-order for June 9th. Could you talk a little bit more about, more about your book that is coming out and then uh, we'll obviously let you go? Yeah,
2: Uh, Well, first, I got an 18 on the ACT and a 15 in the writing section. (laughs) Gets all excited about, you know, Ernest Hemingway here. This is is probably not that type of deal. That's why you team up with John Gordon, right? Somebody who's uh, who I've been a huge fan of. And this happened for one reason. This was to raise money for the Children's Hospital here at the University of Minnesota Masonic Children's Hospital, who uh, our Fleck family fund is through everybody went through hardships with COVID-19. Everybody, uh, you know, went through really difficult times with the social injustice, but I I always, you know, I felt really, really bad for a lot of those sick children in the hospital. One, one person in the room at a time, had no visitors for over a year. We're talking kids that are seven, eight, nine years old with cancer, um, life-threatening diseases, uh, sicknesses, illnesses, and they, they can't have that social interaction that, that, that gets them through that day. So we decided to do this. It took me a few days to write. 80% of it. It's not very long, but we wanted to create hope, love, connection, positivity, and just do something positive. Um, this isn't about, hey, we won a national title. Let's write a book. I haven't, but I've taken over two programs. We've gone from where we were to someplace we've never been before and more of a lifestyle book, a perspective book, um, and just a fun book that people can read, apply to their life, their team, their business, their company, their family. Uh, that's really positive uh, in a time in our life where we could all use some of that. So um, again, benefits the University of Maso- uh, Minnesota Masonic Children's Hospitals for a great cause. Again, not just about our culture, our hyperculture and how we do all these things. It's more specific about Row the Boat. So proud of uh, uh, of what John Gordon had, had put together and just so lucky to team up with an amazing author like John Gordon uh, for such a great cause. So. Um, and and our, our fund helps directly right into the families. This isn't about research. This doesn't go to just the medical part. This goes to truly the families uh, to help their life every day and to take that burden that they have off of them just a bit each day uh, for providing amazing experiences for them. So that's why we decided to write the book. I've already heard all the puns, don't worry. We were <laughs> four because he was too busy writing a book. Look, <laughs> some pages, it, 110, 15 pages. That's not why we went three and four, I promise
0: would definitely encourage everyone to check that book out you can pre-order that on Amazon it comes out Amazon it comes out on June 9th like I said before really appreciate the time coach best of luck moving forward We encourage everyone also check out Minnesota football this year should have fans in the stands thanks again man
2: awesome appreciate it man thanks a lot thanks for having us on
0: of course thank you my goodness the energy I've had off of the PJ Fleck interview and then also the Tom Allen interview have been kind of insane because these guys just bring it dude these guys are rare I think talking to Tom Allen talking to PJ Fleck two two successful head coaches in college football energy matters man like motivation like you're like every single day trying to motivate kids like legitimately mm-hmm. like 19 20 year old kids
1: to like well, do like, like insane feats but it's also like build a culture that's positively like yes so much of it's off
0: the field, too. Yeah. Like, Tom Allen talks so much about, you know, respecting them as humans and, 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 like, loving them and, like, helping them off the field and that type of stuff. And Flex had the same shit. It's, like, not all of it is X's and O's. You get to the NFL, it's, like, you're paid to be here, blah, blah, blah. We're going to teach you how to be a good football player, whatever. Mm-hmm. At college, like... Like, so much of that culture matters. And I do think that, like, the successful head coaches, and, like, I think there's Harbaugh as a part of that as well, like why he's had success. I mean, he hasn't had success at Michigan. I will say that, but I'm saying why he's, like, coveted as a coach, I believe is because of the culture and, like, the energy and his ability to recruit. Did you know, P.J. Fleck, when he went to Western Michigan, I didn't talk to him about this, didn't have time, but P.J. Fleck, when he went to Western Michigan, when he was hired as a head coach, Mm -hmm. I think he was the wide receivers coach at Rutgers before, whatever, he said, every single scholarship offer we've had for this year, rescind it. I don't want any of them. Anyone that didn't get wasn't offered by me, I'm they're done. Players were upset. People are all upset. Whatever. His comment back was like, Yeah, I did that. And not a single one of those players came into my office asking for that scholarship back. No one wanted it more than me. You know, no one wanted to talk to me about it. Whatever. And then he said went on to have Four consecutive seasons of the highest recruiting classes in the MAC, Like every single recruiting class he had. Like the dude said, hey, this is how we're going to play and brings in just absolute dogs. Like what he's done in college football is pretty rare. That was a fantastic interview. Can't wait to have him on again. Maybe, maybe even make our way out to Minnesota, dude. We're talking about these tailgate tours. Could be a treat. Could be a treat there in the Big Ten. All right, that's going to do it for this uh, this um, Monday episode here. Until next time, Austin Gale, Mike Renner, Mike Quinn, David Sofaro, two for one drafts.